Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that's all about comic book movies, which you can find at cinematicuniverse.com. I'm your host, Joe Cunningham, and I'll be bringing you a truncated version of the show to bridge the gap between our uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2 and Valyrian episodes and um, the very soon upcoming Sin City episode. Um, I'll be giving you my reactions to the comics that Seven James recommended on those last two podcasts. Um, so some Amazing Spider-Man, some Ultimate Spider-Man, and a little bit of Valyrian thrown in there at the end as well. Um, but before any of that, a quick little bit of housekeeping. Um, I think this is still going to be a mini-sode rather than a mega-sode. I don't think it's going to stretch out to that length, just because there hasn't been as much news during the weeks off and the comic book recommendations were uh, shorter than your average ones. Um, apologies for the irregularity of the podcast as of late. Um, I am in the process of moving uh, house, uh, moving flat, um, relocating, starting a new job next week, and um, that has thrown things for a bit of a loop in this past month. Um, and so the minisodes have been kind of uh, the main victim, I would say. Um, the next main episode will be with you very soon. In fact, it's already recorded and edited, and it will basically basically be turning up in your feeds maybe even the same day if not the day after this uh, this mini so so you you are going to have a lot of cinematic universe um coming up in the very near future um and then we should be uh back onto a more regular um a more regular schedule for the podcast following that once um i'm all settled in uh, in a new city with a new job so that's exciting um but that's that's the housekeeping. Uh, let's now take a look at the comic book movie news that's broken over the past few weeks. And I'm just going to attack this in a completely random order. Um, I'm not ignoring the um, DC Joker movies, Gotham City Sirens, Suicide Squad 2, The Batman. We have covered all of that on our main episode in some depth. Uh, so the main episode, which you should be hearing very soon, you'll hear Seven James and I... Uh, delve deeper into the DC situation. Um, but let's start with Hellboy. Um, so last week, the week before, Ed Screen was cast in the movie as Major uh, Daimyo. Daimyo. Um, and that's a character in the comic books who is of Asian descent. And um, as you probably all know, because his um, tweet then became viral, Ed Screen said... 
uh, basically after taking the role, not realizing that it was a character of Asian descent when he took the role, um, that he took the um, response very seriously and was stepping down from the role uh, because he, he wasn't comfortable uh, continuing under the circumstances. Now, I'm sure you've all read the, read the actual uh, tweet. Um, it's uh, Ed Screen is definitely to be lauded for making this decision. Um, and hopefully it sets a good precedent. Um, I would hope as well as setting a precedent for what moves forward, it causes there to be more scrutiny on... Uh, th- these kind of situations going forward, and um, I-, I hesitate to to bring up this, but it's uh, I think it's interesting that Ed Screen has made this decision. Whilst you can also look at his IMDb page and see that he is starring in an upcoming adaptation of Alita: Battle Angel, um, which uh, is uh, starring lots of uh, white British and American actors, from what I can see. Um, so obviously, even within this particular example of this particular actor, it's not something that is terribly consistent. And um, yeah, it's it, you can see that there is definitely a problem that persists. Having said that, maybe it was his experience with both of those projects that has caused Ed Screen to go, hang on a minute, this isn't what we should be doing anymore. And... Uh, yeah, I, I don't really want to take away from the decision he's made because it's incredible and it's a decision that no other actor has ever, um, to my knowledge, uh, made before. So, yeah, um, that was uh, that's very laudable and we'll see who takes over from Ed Screen um, next. Uh, also joining the film is Penelope Mitchell, um, an actress uh, who appeared on Hemlock Grove and Vampire Diaries. Um, now I saw a little bit of her on Hemlock Grove um, and actually um, humble brag and drop the name um, I interviewed Penelope Mitchell on the set of Hemlock Grove and whilst I didn't really like the show and haven't seen her in Vampire Diaries since then because that's not a show that I watch um, she was lovely and the little that I saw of her in Hemlock Grove I thought hmm, pretty good so um, yeah I'm, I'm happy that she's turning up in something that I'll actually be able to watch this time uh, on now to Spider-Man Homecoming and writers Chris McKenna and Eric Sommers are returning for the sequel to that film, uh, Spider-Man Homecoming 2 or whatever that will end up being uh, called. Um, so that the, the original film had lots of credited writers, Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly, um, the Horrible Bosses writers, uh, wrote the original draft of that script and I think McKenna and Sommers came on later. Um, so they're the two who are returning for the sequel and um, presumably again writing alongside John Watts if in fact he does exist. Um, Justice League Dark, that is a movie that's starting over. It's not the only movie that's starting over though. Um, Gerard Johnston is working on a new draft of that script while they continue to look for a new director. So DC still continuing to develop Justice League Dark but it's not really getting anywhere at the moment. Um, And Channing Tatum has said that Gambit has started from scratch. So he says he's still attached, it's still being developed, he's still working on it, it's just back to square one. So there are a couple of movies that... um, we're going to have to wait a while to see, at the very least, if ever. Uh, a movie we are getting to see very soon 
is Justice League, and Joss Whedon um, has obviously taken over there as the director from Zack Snyder. Um, I don't think we know yet whether he's going to end up with a DGA credit, an actual official director's credit for that, but he's certainly overseeing the reshoots. Um, it seems likely, though, because he is getting a writing credit on the script. Um, now, there are lots of complex rules when it comes to uh, credits and uh, as to, to be getting a writing credit for coming in and working on reshoot stuff suggests that what Joss Whedon has done is um, sizable to some degree. So it sounds like uh, rumours of extensive reshoots and Joss Whedon reshaping things, changing the tone to an extent, probably aren't a million miles off the mark if he's getting that writer's credit. Um, also DC related, the Wonder Woman DVD release is getting an epilogue on the end of the movie, so uh, it sounds like a post-credit sting basically, um, that is going to be teasing the inclusion of mother boxes in the DCEU, which I believe is going to be a thing uh, for Cyborg and throughout Justice League. So um, I'm glad I didn't have to sit through that in cinemas because the um, I wanted as little as possible in the way, in the way of DCEU crossover for Wonder Woman. Um, I didn't particularly like the framing sequence massively. Um, so this is something that you get if you buy the DVD and Blu-ray, I guess. So, uh, yeah, mother boxes. Um, over to Marvel now, and um, the first image of Evangeline Lilly in costume as the Wasp um, has been tweeted by the actress herself. Um, it looks very much like a uh, kind of just a female version of the Ant-Man suit. It's blue and red. Um I was hoping that maybe at some point in the film we'll get to see kind of her in a more yellow and black kind of design. Um, and there is a uh, kind of poster out there that suggests that that might be the case. Um, fingers crossed. Um, and eventually Lily, who's doing a lot of social media stuff, has also revealed that she's got pretty ripped for the, the new movie. So I'm hoping that means that we are going to see her do her fair share of action. Uh, James Gunn has been teasing the inclusion of Nova in the MCU, uh, maybe not immediately, but maybe in Guardians of the Galaxy 3, or maybe even after that. But he, what he did say was that a lot of what they are doing in Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is kind of setting up the cosmic side of Marvel, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, for the next 10 or 15 years, uh, which sounds pretty ambitious, uh, but he also kind of said that it would be the last outing for this team of the Guardians, so... Um, whether that means more Guardians of the Galaxy films, but a, uh, a kind of a new team or uh, a reshaped team, um, or whether it just means some of these characters maybe spin off into different Marvel properties, or uh, I mean, the possibilities are endless, aren't they? So, um, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which James Gunn is already working on, and because of his social media presence, we will not hear the end of until it arrives in cinemas. Um, and then the last piece of Marvel Cinematic Universe news, uh, Geneva robertson Dwarit is writing the script for Captain Marvel. Um, that's significant. She's also written the upcoming Tomb Raider movie, and it was also working on the Gotham City Sirens script, although, uh, as you'll hear on the main episode, we're not entirely sure what's happening with that film at the moment. Um, so there's nothing we can really judge her on, um, but... Uh, because none of her films have been released yet, but it sounds like she's a pretty hot property in Hollywood right now. So, fingers crossed that is a positive sign for Captain Marvel. And then, just a tidbit on Deadpool 2, Eddie Marzan appears to have joined the cast, um, according to a picture that he tweeted out of his kids meeting Ryan Reynolds. 
Um, let's talk um, for our final piece of movie news, um, Glass, which at this point, um, if you don't know, I, I'm really sorry for this, but Split, the M. Night Shyamalan movie, was a sequel to Unbreakable, and the sequel to both of those movies is called Glass. And we got the first synopsis for Glass, uh, which is... Following the conclusion of Split, Glass finds Dunn, that's the Bruce Willis character, pursuing Crumb's superhuman figure of the Beast, uh, that's the James McAvoy character, in a series of escalating encounters while the shadowy presence of Price, that's Mr. Glass, emerges as an orchestrator who holds secret cr- secrets critical to both men. Um, I'm fascinated by this movie. I still haven't got around to watching Split to my, uh, to my shame, but hopefully it won't be too long because, uh, yeah... I'm uh, I'm so intrigued by that movie and so intrigued by the idea of this sequel. Um, and we'll finish things off with just the uh, one piece of TV news. Um, and I guess this counts as TV. Uh, Brenton, Brenton Thwaites. I always thought it was Brendan. And I only found out when I <laughs> researched this article that his name is actually Brenton. Brenton Thwaites is playing Dick Grayson, uh, a.k.a. Nightwing on the Titans TV series. Um, And why I said hesitated about whether this was TV or not is because this is the show that is turning up on DC's digital platform next year. Um, It's going to be the only kind of original series um, alongside, I think, uh, uh, I've forgotten already, but it's a revived uh, animated property that they're making new episodes of. Um, Thwaites was, was kind of the the new pretty boy that was turning up in a lot of Hollywood movies. I think he was in the most recent Paris the Caribbean movie. He was in Oculus, I think. Oh, I pulled that out the back of my head and I'm not convinced after I've said it. Um, and he was definitely in Maleficent um, that I remember. Uh, so he's kind of, he, he seems to be like the big casting get here as Dick Grayson. Um, Tegan Croft, a young Australian actress, is playing Raven and Anna Diop is playing Starfire. Um, and that's a uh, race piece of race blind casting, which has annoyed some bigots online. Uh, so <laughs> that is uh, all of the comic book movie and TV news for this week. And we'll move on to the recommendations from the last two podcasts. Okay, let's start with the Amazing Spider-Man 2 podcast recommendations. And the first one of those, I'll do James's first, which was issues... 386 to 388 of The Amazing Spider-Man, written, uh, written by David Michelini, Michelini, I don't know, and Mark Bagley um, doing the art, and um, I believe this was recommended to me by James. Uh, I can only imagine as um, an example of a bad Spider-Man comic after watching a bad Spider-Man movie. Um, so this is a comic where Spider-Man is battling the Vulture, kind of in the foreground. Uh, in the background, um, the status quo in the comics is that his parents have returned. And during the course of the comics, he reveals to his parents that he is Spider-Man. Except Aunt May is sceptical that these people are Spider-Man's parents whatsoever. And that causes a rift between Peter and Aunt May. Um, and then all the while, Spider-Man's battling Vulture. And Vulture is old and feeble and he wants to be young and strong. And he kidnaps some, something from a scientist that makes that these gauntlets that can make him young and strong. And he saps Peter's life force out of him. And Peter becomes an old man and the Vulture becomes young and uh, strong again. But it only lasts for a few hours. 
few. So um, Vulture decides, well, he doesn't decide. He's approached by Chameleon, uh, the, the villain Chameleon, who can take other people's form and says, um, look, maybe the mistake you made, old partner, was by trying to take real life. If you want to be artificially de-aged, maybe you should take artificial life. Which doesn't make any sense, but there you go. And hey, here's something that's handy. Peter's parents happen to be artificial life because they're actually like... I don't know whether they're robots or whether they've been like grown in a lab or something, but they're not real and they're not really his parents. And Peter finds out just after he's revealed to them that he was Spider-Man. And the reason Chameleon knows that they're not real is because he sent them to Peter Parker because he knows there's a connection between Peter Parker and Spider-Man and he was hoping that that would mean that he gets to find out Spider-Man's secret identity and it's all really stupid and it's not very interesting and there's a fight at the end and Richard Parker is the the fake Richard Parker is forced to fight Spider-Man and is kind of evil but the the Mary Parker, the mum, tends to t- turns out to be even though she's artificial, t- turns out to be really nice, and she, um, kind of like st- stops Richard from giving up Peter's identity. But then Vulture takes her; he does take her life force, and she grows old and dies. Um, and yeah, it's it's all pretty bad. It's all pretty silly. The dynamic between Peter and Aunt May is less interesting with Peter's parents around. Uh, and yeah, it's just difficult in a Spider-Man story to care about his parents full stop. Like, before the reveal comes that they're not real, even though they, they were kind of like mentioned within the first couple of pages, I almost forgot they were there and I was just kind of focusing on the Vulture stuff for the first couple of issues. Um, this is a three-issue long story and... Um, it, it drags, it really drags even even across the course of three issues. Um, yeah, so I, I, I would still say it's... Uh, sig- I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. 
significantly better than The Amazing Spider-Man 2 and a direct direct adaptation of this to screen would have been a better movie than The Amazing Spider-Man 2, but still not good. Um, interesting, though, that it was written by uh, uh, drawn by Mark Bagley, um, as was Ultimate Spider-Man issue 111, which Seb recommended... Um, and I thought that was the re- that was the the Bagley connection was a good reason to transition from one into the other. Uh, Brian Michael Bendis wrote this one, and it is an issue uh, which I think Seb basically wanted to recommend to me on the Spider Man Homecoming episode, and also wanted me to read some good comics this week. Um, and uh, it's Peter talking to Aunt May just after she finds out that he is, or after she's found out that he's Spider Man. And it's just a really charming single issue of Spider-Man explaining to Aunt May everything that goes into him being Spider-Man, why he's Spider-Man, why he feels he has to be Spider-Man, how he got his powers, how he operates on a day-to-day basis, why he didn't want to tell her, why he thinks that her knowing puts her at risk, Um, explains the whole Uncle Ben situation and the uh, great power, great responsibility stuff that Ben taught him and they have a lovely moment where they agree that Uncle Ben would think that him being Spider-Man was really, really cool and really great basically and that Peter was doing the right thing um, and I I kind of felt like the issue as well kind of almost read like a like a coming out metaphor. Um, I don't know whether that's me painting that onto the top of it, but it it felt like the kind of coming out metaphor that you don't normally see in these kind of stories, especially we talk so much about the X-Men and like, you know, have you, have you tried not being a mutant? And this is like kind of the polar opposite, the positive experience of sitting down and kind of, okay, so this is, this is the whole thing and you've got questions to ask me and I've got things that I need to explain to you and let's talk about this and let's get it all out in the open. Um, but knowing that it's coming from, that, that you're talking to someone that you can trust and there's, it's a there's, it's a place of love and understanding and it's just a really sweet issue that's two characters talking and they managed to find a fun way to get some Spider-Man hijinks in there in the middle with Spider-Man battling Spot, um, who's a character that I most recently encountered in an issue of Jessica Jones, the first arc of the new Jessica Jones, and um, just with kind of like Peter explaining to her what he'd done today to kind of to tell Aunt May about how he how he functions as Spider-Man day to day. So yeah, um, I would highly recommend this um, if you can. If you can, it's just one issue: Ultimate Spider-Man issue one hundred and eleven. Um, and yeah, it's really fantastic. Uh, the last Amazing Spider-Man recommendation is issues 121 to 122 of The Amazing Spider-Man. Um, also Seb's recommendation, written by Jerry Conway, um, art by Gil Kane. And this is the direct uh, inspiration for The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Don't let that put you off. Um, but it's the death of Gwen Stacy. It's two issues where the first issue is, I would say, significantly less good than the second. And I, the, the, the reason for my hesitation there was I would almost hesitate to say the first issue is bad. It's 
got a cover with lots of different faces going, one of these people close to Peter will die. And then it's introduced with like, we're not going to tell you the name of the story until the very end and you'll understand how important it is. Um, and I don't know whether it would have been genuinely shocking that it was going to be Gwen Stacy who died in the issue when you read it at first at the time. Obviously, I knew it coming. It was coming, so it couldn't be a surprise. But it even felt like in the context of this single issue that it couldn't be that many different characters. Like, Harry Osborn was a slight possibility. Uh, I just felt like the, the only characters that felt like they had any significant place in the story were Mary Jane, who wasn't Peter's girlfriend at the time. Gwen was, so the impacts would have been less. Uh, Harry's kind of in a bad way, but he kind of feels like a like th- he serves another function in the story. And then Gwen. So yeah, I, it, I, I'm not sure how effective that is. And I, I wonder whether uh, it would have been more effective not teasing the death at the start and just coming as a complete shock. Um, and I think because the, the the story, like, especially, I think the, the panels where she, Gwen Stacy dies, where she's thrown off the, uh, I think it's the Brooklyn Bridge by Norman Osborn, it's one of the bridges, um, and Peter tries to save her with his, uh, with his webbing, and he catches her, and he thinks she's fine, but there's, and it's very subtle the way it's depicted, there's just one little, little snap sound effect um kind of written on the page and it's that that's kind of it that like i I almost had to read it like look over the images to go so wait so i mean i i knew her she broke her back when this was happening or broke her neck but i never really clicked and then like norman osborne's the green goblin is laughing and explaining to peter what he's done and how he did it um oh like of course she's dead anyone falling from that height would die you idiot, basically. And then Peter just kind of, like, swears revenge. Except it all feels very mechanical and cold in the first issue, whereas, like, Peter's just like, oh, you killed my girl, you git. I'm gonna get you. And it's... I don't know, yeah, it, it, it all felt a little bit strange to me in the first issue. The second issue is kind of Peter hunting down Norman Osborn and, like, originally saying that he kind of he wants to kill him he wants to end him once and for all and that because because of what he did to Gwen but it kind of feels like Gwen is almost an afterthought she was just this function in the story and especially the way that the first issue had set it up was like the death of this person will change Peter's life forever and it really doesn't feel like in that issue that it matters that Gwen dies it's just like you know she's been fridged for Peter um and I don't know whether the the story ever totally overcomes that, but it certainly mitigates it in the second issue, where it feels like th- even during the fight with Norman Osborn that Peter is able to slow down almost and grapple with the situation and grapple with his feelings somewhat and consider what Norman Osborn has done to Gwen as a person rather than just as how it's affecting him. Um so yeah, I, I, I feel like the the second issue gets a lot closer to doing this kind of iconic moment in comics justice. Um Yeah, so I wasn't I wasn't completely sold on it. Um
but I, I certainly I went from going why is other than a major character in in this character in Peter Parker's life being killed, why is this such a such a well known and important comic story? Um, and it kind of comes together at the end, especially in Peter's battle with Norman Osborn. Uh, you get the moment essentially from the end of the first Spider-Man where Peter is battling, he's fighting the Green Goblin and the Green Goblin calls his uh, glider to him and Peter jumps out of the way just in time and instead of spearing Peter, it spears Norman Osborn and he, he dies, he kills himself. But Peter had kind of already by that point got come to the realisation that he, he shouldn't be trying to kill uh, Norman Osborn, that that was not... That was not the right response, um, and he shouldn't like almost tar Gwen's legacy with that. Um, so yeah, uh, and and that I think almost the, the and maybe it's it's also got something to do with the way that I've seen them um, depicted on screen. But for me, the the Green Goblin death almost felt more iconic than the Gwen Stacy death in the course of these two issues and yeah again i think it helps that the green goblin's death comes at the kind of it feels like the culmination of a story and it feels like it is it is something that is uh important to the green goblin's character arc it feels like the end of his story after even within these two issues kind of knowing where norman osborne had come from before this and then committing the act that he commits and uh, kind of his like being being driven mad and becoming the Green Goblin and knowing who Peter is. It felt earned, whereas the Gwen Stacy death would, would felt in that issue like, oh, and won't this be interesting for Peter going forward? So, yeah, um, slightly mixed on that one, but um, I definitely came around to it by the end. Um, so that's all of the Spider-Man recommendations. Um, so the... The last recommendation now is the Valyrian recommendation, which is Valyrian and Loreline and James told me just to pick one story at random, which I did. Um, this is Volume 8, Heroes of the uh, Equinox by J.C. Mezieres and P. Christin. Um, I've probably butchered those names, as I do with all names on this podcast, I think we've discovered by now. And yeah, so I picked this at random, and after... All of the discussion that we had on the podcast about um, how the comics are called Valyrian and Loreline, and how that maybe that would it would be nice for the movie to be called that as well to reflect that this is a story about both of the characters and not just one of them. Uh, that the male character is no more important than the female character. This is a this is a story that takes place over fifty pages where Valyrian goes off on an adventure and Loreline sits there and waits for him to come back. So that was annoying, um, but this this story was fun. Um, it's a, a, an absolute breeze to read. Like uh, you skip through it really fast. Um, the worlds that you're looking at feel uh, unique, fully realized. Uh, I mean, this is mostly one world, but um, I really enjoyed the art. It did. I mean, it did remind me of reading Asterix as a kid. I can't deny that. Um, that's just me lumping all uh, French, Belgian, I don't even know, French comics together. Um, and um, yeah, uh, so the story in this one is basically Valerian is sent on a bureaucratic mission to this planet where he has to uh, 
go on this quest alongside three other champions. And the four quests, the four champions that of, of whom Valyrian is one, while Loreline sits and waits for him to come back, they are going to journey to this um, nearby island near the, on on this world where heroes once in a generation go and um they never return the champion has never returned the the losers return but the champion doesn't return uh but a lot of his offspring then do return and they become like the next generation of this world for the next hundred years um so fun setup and valyrian goes off and does this and he he manages to just about get through the first day which is all of these physical trials um, and then on the second day, it has to um, compete with the other challengers who have all um, outdone him on the first day uh, in a more mental challenge, a mind game. And basically, it's like, look, if you create the next generation of this world, uh, what are you going to do? Like, how do you how do you foresee their future? What how do you want to shape that future? And all the other three have these fanciful ideas and then Valyrian goes I don't really know I had a bit knackered I hadn't really thought about it uh, I guess I just let them decide for themselves that seems the fairest way um, which leads to Valyrian winning the competition he then turns up at this like temple waiting inside is this giantess goddess um, this kind of like gorgeous voluptuous um, red-headed uh, literal goddess who is like, I chose you because I liked this idea that you were like, everyone should um, be able to make their own minds up. And she's kind of got these like David Bowie, Ziggy Stardust uh, lightning bolts on her face as well. Uh, Aladdin Sane probably uh, is the correct uh, reference there. Um, and she basically says to Valyrian, so, you know, if you, uh, if you cop off with me right now, then I can have loads of your babies and they can become the new generation in this place. And Valyrian's like, well... Oh, in fact, his actually his um, his words are, "Oh well, if it's for a good cause," and then eventually Loreline gets sick of waiting for him to come back. She does the whole journey, the whole uh, difficult mental, uh, sorry, physical uh, journey that Valyrian had to make before her. She gets all the way there, and she turns up, and there's all these little children running out who are the new generation of this planet. Um, but all of basically all of the sex with this goddess has caused Valyrian to shrink to the size of a of kind of like a tiny little person that Loreline can hold in her hand because of what an exhausting task it has been. Um, the implication at the end of the comic is that um, they can turn him back to normal size um, by taking him to the right medics in in the universe. Um, but Loreline is not happy with him one bit. Um, so I thought it was a funny little story, a charming little story. I just wish, um, in retrospect, that I had read up on the comics because I did just pick one at random, and I wish I'd picked one that had Loreline as a more active part and not just a kind of, Gah, this guy going off and being a scamp while I'm holding the fort down back home. So, yeah, uh, that was Valyrian and Loreline. Maybe I'll read some more. I don't know. It was quite fun, and it was uh, it was a very quick read. Um but that's why I didn't think we needed to turn this into an official megasode because I blasted through those comics. Um, and that is, in, in fact, it for this week's show. Um, so don't forget the next episode you will be listening to very soon. Like I said, uh, either today, tomorrow, the next day. Uh, basically, as as soon as, um, as soon as Seb decides that he wants to release it because I'm sending him this and the main episode at the same time. Um, it should be noted, any and all delays to the podcast recently have been on me so um i apologize for that 
Um, but yet, yeah, the next episode as well, I don't know if I mentioned it, is on Sin City. So Sin City is, uh, is the episode that you'll be able to listen to very soon. Um, if you're enjoying the show, show, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast app of choice. Um, you can support us on Patreon.com at Patreon.com forward slash Cinematic Universe, and we've been making some changes over there, over there, which you'll be able to hear about on the main episode. Um, you can also find more episodes of Cinematic Universe at CinematicUniverse.com. You can get in touch on Facebook, uh, on Twitter at Cine underscore Verse, or you can send us um, an email to Editorial at CinematicUniverse.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you uh, really soon. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.